Welcome to Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. My name is Julie Paulston. I am your host, and I am so absolutely honored that you stopped by. Each week, I'm going to be sharing my own personal journey, and I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people that will be sharing their journeys as well, in hopes that we can educate, motivate, and inspire you to live the best possible life that you can. So grab your favorite beverage, maybe a snack or two, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Because at the end of the day, this truly is all about you. Oh my gosh. So I'm super excited. Welcome back to Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. So I have a guest today that I am going to preface this episode by saying that you possibly could have some triggers during this episode. This episode is going to be about domestic violence. This is going to be not about um, sitting in the shit and in the pit, but this is how my guest survived and is now thriving and is now living her life. And she knows that she believes the same way that I do that your story can save someone's life. And so she is having the courage to come on here and talk about her journey, which I think is so important in so many ways. And so I just wanted to introduce her because she's amazing. I saw her um, post on Facebook and I called her, connected with her and I said, I need you on my podcast because this is such an important subject. So I would like to introduce you to Megan. Megan, would you tell everybody just a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely, Julie. Thank you so much um, for reaching out and for welcoming me here today. Um, I am a mom through and through, and that is my most important and number one title. Um, I have two absolutely beautiful daughters, um, 14 and six years old. And, um, you know, because being a mom doesn't pay the bills. So I'm also an educator for stylists and um, it's, it's an intense passion of mine, not only changing and molding people's careers and helping them excel and grow the way that um, they see fit and the way that they want to, but also knowing that um, I'm in turn giving them the tools to take care of their own families and, and do those things for themselves as well. Um, I, outside of that, my hobby and, and my other love is of all things animals. And I think that that comes from the fact that I knew I was done at two kids that I still <laughs> needed things to nurture. So um, we had, it's a little backyard farm and it's named for me and my daughters. It's called Mama's Pet Menagerie. And um, we, we were basically a home for kind of misfit animals. So um, it started with uh, cats, any cat that needed a home, people would pick up the phone and call me and it evolved into so much more. And um, at one point we had three dogs, we've got seven cats um, and a, a pig came into our life and that was interesting. And after the pig came, two more pigs came and then um, my youngest, she had a lot of health issues from the Flint water crisis um, and she struggled when it came to eating and trying different things. So she got most of her protein from eggs. So we decided to get chickens so that we could raise our own and know what they were being fed and the, the quality of egg that she would be receiving. Um, so that's kind of how all of that started. And now we breed rabbits and goats and <laughs> we just Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> I saw the video the other day of your daughter out there with, you know, giving water and then gave the, the, the pig, the corn and she's like, but it's not cooked corn. And I was like, Oh my God, you are so cute. I'm like, I just want to swoop you up. You're so cute. So it definitely gives us a run for our money. That's for sure. So I have a question. I ask everybody the same question um, when I start with this podcast. So this is Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. We've all been in the ashes, in the shit pit of our life. What is one time that you were in the ashes where you, rediscover you rediscovered your divine inner phoenix and you were able to rise? And how has that impacted your life today? 
Um, so for me, I really feel like it was um, when I had my first daughter. So I, I had not made the best choices early on in life. And I had put myself in situations that um, I shouldn't have and not the fact that the things that happened to me were not my fault. Um, but if I wouldn't have made some of the choices I did, I never would have been in the positions that I was in. Uh, and I think that specifically for me, um, when I was having this child at 21 years old and my partner at the time was very um, content with living life based on alcohol and not about providing and um, I mean, we were traveling, we were doing Renaissance festivals, living off the grid and, you know, and certain aspects of it were fun. But when you're trying to become a mother and grow into yourself as a person, um, and making sure that you're providing and that you're doing a good job and you're caring for this living being, um, it, where we were was just not okay. And it, it doesn't make anybody that makes the choice to stay there and be there is absolutely 100% up to them. And if they can make it work, that's amazing. But it was really, um, I had an epiphany when, you know, I'm packing up a tent and I am wearing a two month old child and not knowing where I'm going next. And I just really thought about what kind of life I was setting her up for and you know was I even going to give her the tools to be successful if that's what I was showing her life was so um I'm excuse me I'm very fortunate that I have an incredible family support system and it took one phone call to my dad and I said hey I don't like this I don't like where I'm at and I don't like where I put my daughter and I really just need help so that I can come home and I can get back on my feet in a better way. And without hesitation, he had a plane ticket booked for me and my daughter. He had me in a hotel room that night and I was back with them um, within probably four days max. And, um, you know, that was when I was really, I knew that it was important for me to kick my life into gear. So um, by staying with my parents, I was working two jobs. I had my daughter in daycare. Um, I had an amazing daycare provider that actually would take my daughter home with her when the daycare center closed so that I could continue working my second job. Wow. I went to school um, online because I, I couldn't be away from her any more than I already was. And um, you know, I was going for, for an associates in business, I was pursuing cosmetology. And um, just by having that support from my parents, and then knowing what I had to do to, to make her life better was like my pivotal moment. Like, I had some dark times before that, and some things that really should have woken me up. Um, but it was her. Isn't it? It's, I think it's fascinating. I, and the more I hear you talk, I'm like, holy shit, do we have parallel journeys? <laughs> because, you know, I, I've been in recovery for 31 years and, and almost 31 years. And before I was 21, it was just all about me and drinking and using. And, and when I had my oldest son, who I ended up relinquishing for adoption, um, but there's something about when you see that little face that you go, holy shit, this is not okay. What I'm doing is not okay. Um, so after you got home, congratulations, by the way, on recognizing them. I'm like, dude, I need to get out of here. I need to, I need to do better. So you got home, you got your degree and all that. So then, then what happened in between? How did you start this new journey that, that you have been healing from? So um, I actually, again, love my parents, love the support system they provided. Um, but I think we've all recognized that us living together is not a good thing. Um, <laughs> and, you know, as much as my parents at that time, mind you, this was 14 years ago. At that time, my parents still very much wanted to parent me while I was yeah. on my own parenting journey. And um, there got to a point where um, I ended up 
needing to leave them. And I, we had just suffered some loss um, of somebody that who was like a brother to me. And um, I had the opportunity to move out of state. And because of the fact that my daughter's father was not in the picture, um, I basically, for lack of a better words, could do whatever the hell I wanted to. So I basically looked at my parents and said, thanks for everything, but I'm going to move my kid to Arizona. We're going. Bye. Peace. Um, Gotta go. Bye. And they were scared and hesitant for me as, you know, parents rightfully should be. Um, But I knew that it was something that I needed to do to try to refine myself while being this parent that I knew I needed to be. And um, that was where I was starting my cosmetology school was actually out in Phoenix. And um, unfortunately, when I made the initial trip, I went on my own um, and I left my daughter with my parents so that I could get our apartment set up and I could get daycare set up and a job set up and I could do all those things. Well, in the short period of time that I had went to Arizona and then came back to get her, um, her biological dad had filed a motion with the court and had, had had basically stolen custody in the two week time that I was in Arizona. Oh my um, God. Yeah. Oh my God. So you came home to, I'm going to come home. So in your mind, you're like, oh, I'm going to come home and I'm going to pick up my daughter. We're going to go to Arizona. Life's going to be good. And you get home and no daughter and an injunction. And now you're fighting for custody. At her second birthday, I came home to pick her up on her birthday, threw a birthday party for her. And the papers were served to me as I was trying to walk out of the building with her. Oh. <gasps> That has got to do something internally to you that flips that rage switch. Like, And that's actually um, part of what I fault for where my life went after that. Um, and, you know, I, I'm definitely somebody that believes in 100% accountability in my own actions. And hindsight's 2020, And I never should have even left her for the short period of time that I did. Um, And, you know, my parents did everything that they could, but there's no grandparents' rights, Um, you know, so there's not really, they had no idea that these things were going on behind the scenes. And because her father and I were never married, there was no divorce. So there was no heads up that court was coming. There was no filing for divorce. Um, He had let me walk away with her. And then when he came back to the state of Michigan was when he was like, oh, this is my chance. So, um, there's a lot that that transpired. I basically went back to Arizona for like a day to basically tell my school that I needed to transfer my credits back to Michigan. I um, ended up having to file bankruptcy because I had to walk away from an apartment that I had just signed a lease on. Um, I came home and I had nowhere to go and I had nowhere to be because again, as much as I loved my family, I, the reason I moved to Arizona was because we don't live well together. So. Right. Even coming back, um, there were hard feelings about everything that transpired with my daughter and emotions were high, tension was high. And again, not something that I fault anybody for, um, but it just wasn't a position that I was in to go back and live with my family. Well, when I was in Arizona, um, I had one of a a friend of mine um, who I was very close to, who knew about my separation from my daughter's father and everything was telling me about this person that um, she really thought that I would click with and she wanted to introduce me to them. But that was before I had moved to Arizona. And then when I came back, that person was like, well, hey, I'm looking for a roommate now. And things seemed a little too good to be true. And based on my state of mind and what I was dealing with emotionally um, from basically having my daughter stolen from me in a matter of two weeks time, um, my judgment wasn't as clear as it should have been. And I didn't look at the red flags that came along with this person. Um, this person's wife at the time even reached out to me and said, be careful. And uh, I didn't listen. I think that, I think that sometimes, you know, we see the red flags and we joke about them. We're like, Oh, look at all those pretty red flowers when we know they're red flags, but in our mind, because our judgment is either clouded from grief or anger or any of the other emotions, we're like, oh, those are beautiful little red flowers. And everybody around us is like, 
bitch, them are some red flags. You just, <laughs> you're not paying attention. And uh, it just, no matter who tells us, we just keep going because we always have that faith that we can make it better. Well, and that's it. That's it. Exactly. So by nature, I'm a fixer. Um, by nature, I, I like to heal things. Um, so seeing a vulnerable person was like, oh, I'm vulnerable too right now. Maybe we can work on each other. You know, maybe we can help each other. Um, but unfortunately, like I knew the reason that this person was looking for a roommate was because the girlfriend that they had at the time had um, gotten them arrested. And the fact that that person was able to get them arrested should have been red flag enough for me. And it wasn't. Um, I knew that he had gone to jail for what he had done to her. And somehow I allowed the manipulation already to penetrate before I was even physically there. And I felt bad for this person. And I felt that nurturing mother instinct that said, okay, this is somebody that needs you to take care of them. So because I didn't have my daughter to take care of at that moment, because I was fighting for her, I said, oh, okay, well, here's a sort of replacement, you know, a band-aid for the time being. This is somebody I can take care of. And I think that as, um, as women, we do that so often is that um, I watched an episode of, I can't remember, I think Oprah, or maybe it was Dr. Oz. Anyways, I was flipping channels and there was, there was somebody that came on and said that we as human beings are the only species that will look and know that something is extremely dangerous and it could kill us and we will still go do it. Like we will walk up to an elevator, the elevator doors will open and everything in our body goes, run, get out, run. And we, our logical mind goes, oh, we don't want to offend those people. They're going to think that I'm judging them. So I don't want to do that. And then we get in the elevator and then we red flags everywhere, but we still do it. So what happened after you moved in? So um, that was the thing is I, I had gone there. Um, I had actually met up with him at the home because I had had the first court date regarding my daughter's custody that morning. And I was still supposed to go back to Arizona to rent a U-Haul to drive all of my things home. And um, that didn't end up happening. I, him and I, we went, he um, at the time played little random musician gigs and um, no license, no vehicle. And not that that's a shot at anybody that doesn't have those things, but again, more red flags that I should have been paying attention to. And um, I drove this person an hour and a half to a gig. And basically the whole thing was just drinking. And then um, I don't want a roommate. I want a girlfriend. And I was in the vulnerable position that I was just like, yeah, okay. Sounds perfect. You're amazing. I don't know, you know, what could possibly go wrong here, but um, <laughs> you know. And you look back and you're like, huh. Wow. I was, I was kind of stuck on stupid on that one. Cause I, I, it's like, I look back, my first husband tried to kill me. And I remember everybody looking at him and looking at me and looking at him going, do you, do, do you not see this? And I'm like, he just needs somebody to love him and take care of him. Oh, nobody's loved him. Nobody's loved him enough or nobody's yeah. loved him the right way or his mom didn't give him enough love or attention. That's why he treats women like shit because nobody ever loved him correctly. And um, it, it was very, now that I'm removed from it, the level of narcissistic, sociopathic, manipulative behavior is mind blowing. And it's actually the reason that this situation is the hardest as it is for myself personally. I can't even begin to tell you about the effects that it has on my children. Um, but the fact that this, this person was able to do that to me, I feel so much guilt and I feel so much remorse. And there is such a piece of me that I love dearly that has been lost to this person. And before we were even together, I had the police reports of the girl that was there before me. 
I had the emails from his wife at the time, but for some reason, what he said mattered more than what they did. And um, I ended up gaining custody back of my daughter. I actually, it got to the point where um, her biological dad just didn't wanna pay child support and wanted to continue to travel with the festivals and he terminated his rights on her. Um, and my ex, this person, um, wanted to adopt her and I wanted him to adopt her because I didn't think it was right that my daughter didn't have a dad just because her biological dad didn't wanna pay child support. And um, this again, should have been a red flag, but we started the entire adoption process and at the kitchen table, the caseworker, you know, is asking us questions and, and talking to us about, you know, what adoption means and, and essentially the responsibility you're signing up for. And this man actually like looked at this person in, at our table and said, yeah, I'm not sure that this is the right thing. And then the, the caseworker was like, okay, well, I have to close this case because that's not at all, you know. Right. what an adoption proceeding is supposed right. to look like. This is not something that comes up. And um, when I got pregnant with my youngest daughter with this man, that was when he was like, well, we need to call. We need to get, I need to adopt her now. And that's when I was like, I don't know if they will do it right. now after what was said. And um, they did. And um, Unfortunately, um, his manipulation tactics worked on that caseworker just as much as they worked on me. He convinced her that he was just at a really weird spot in his life the day she came over and that that was a mistake and he was always committed. And um, she believed it just like I did. Yeah. And um, I, I had a 10 year marriage with this person and I have a six year old daughter with him and he adopted my 13 year old. And um, our anniversary as Mar was always March 1st. Um, and he had taken some time off um, during the week of our anniversary. Um, it was in, 2019, um, and we we did not have the same parenting styles. Anytime he would talk to my children, I was nervous. Um, the the constant yelling, the constant voice raising, the the talking down to the kids. There was no lessons happening. There was no teaching. It was always it was basically a, a communist government in my house. Um, right. You know, if you if you didn't follow the rules to a T, then there was severe punishment. There was no kids will be kids. There was no she's just five. There was no. It was always the expectation that in an adult's presence you behave like an adult, and that was something that I always struggled with. Um, because even though I agree that kids need structure and kids need stability and and they need to know that there's consequences for their actions kids need to be given grace. They are learning. They right. don't know it. We don't even know it all. So um, that was the biggest moment where I knew I was not going to be with this man forever was the fact that there, there was a level of verbal abuse happening to my children. And even though at that time I wasn't recognizing my abuse, I was very clearly recognizing what was happening to my kids. And so how did the abuse start now? Obviously there's police reports, there's, you know, emails, all of this. When did the, because here's the thing, and there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this and I'm just going to tell everybody that this one may go longer than my 40 minutes, because I think that this is such an, such an absolutely fucking important subject that we're discussing. So I'm asking all the questions. So, um, the first question that people ask is, why did you stay? Why? And, and people ask this, like, and I know they ask you and they ask me the same thing. They're like, well, you know, Julie, why would you stay? Um, there's multiple reasons that I stayed. 
um, he had me completely convinced I could not live life without him. That the minute he walked out of my life, that it was going to crumble. And I failed to recognize that I was the reason he had what he had. It wasn't the other way around. Um, Do you think he started grooming you? I And I personally think that people like this, when they enter into these relationships with you, they start the grooming process of your mental state very early on. Absolutely. So um, for me as a human, um, as a person, I crave validation. I crave, give me your time, dote on me, make me feel good, make me feel important, and I will give you the entire world. Um, And this person recognized that I was a strong, independent woman, but I was vulnerable. And because I was vulnerable, he was able to swoop in and he was able to offer me a place to live when I didn't have somewhere immediately to stay. Um, You know, he was able to say that, you know, I have these things that you need, come here and let me give them to you. Um, And then it it really was a lot of very, very psychological. And um, there came a point in time, so over a 10 year marriage, he either threatened to leave at least once a year and there were twice that I physically packed up and had rented a place to live because I was recognizing the behavior. But any time that I was ready to leave and ready to go um, were the times where he would get most vulnerable. So the, I was actually pregnant with my youngest and I had moved everything out of my home that I owned with him at the time to rent a house to get away from him. And I had come back for my daughter's loft bed and it was too big for me to get on my own because I was pregnant. And um, I came back to get it on the premise that he had said that it was broken down already and just needed to be loaded up. And I got in the house and he actually sat down in front of the front door sat down at the front door so that I could not open the door or move past him and said, if I walked out of the door, he was going to take the bottle of pills in his hand and that I would be responsible for his death. And that moment I was ready. I was gone. I had everything I needed to leave. And I turned around and he, he got me. And I I think that that's the emotional manipulation. If you're listening to this um, and you've never walked in these shoes, the amount of emotional manipulation is more than you can describe because as like Megan was saying, is that you crave that validation, you crave that love is, and you, you want it to be better. And, and the challenge is I was talking to somebody earlier today and, and it's almost, there's a reason that makeup sex is so good. Because you get destroyed, you get put down, you get abused, and then all of a sudden your abuser comes in and pleasures you and gives you that validation, that physical, and there's that physical release of, I'm making it better, it won't happen again, I love you, look at, I'm pleasuring you, and all of this happens, and then in our brain, in the middle of an orgasm, you're like, I can make this work. Yeah, or it's not so bad. It was just a moment of bad. Not everything is so bad. And, um, you know, that wasn't the first time there was, there was actually a time, um, it was before I was pregnant with my youngest that, um, now I, I don't consider myself to have any form of, um, alcohol or drug abuse. I, I, I have a past, you know, where I abused them for a time. Um, but like, for example, that this person, it, if there was going out, going out meant getting so trashed, you couldn't even recognize yourself until the next morning. And um, I was always the designated driver because I didn't like living my life that way. And he had been heavily, heavily drinking. And we lived in Flint. If Flint is not far apart housing, you, you have houses on top of each other. And um, we had gotten home and we actually lived next door to a police officer and we had gotten home and he took a shotgun out back, shot it into the ground in my backyard for no apparent reason. 
and then came inside and started getting rough with me. And then the police showed up and because he completely forgot that he had shot that gun in the backyard, he just turns around and he goes, oh, just tell him we're having rough sex when I answer the door topless. And then um, after they left, he told me to make him a sandwich and pointed the gun at me and told me that if I didn't do what he said, that I wouldn't have a life anymore. I was making a sandwich with a gun pointed at me after police had left my house and deemed it safe. Holy shit. And that, I don't know why that wasn't the first time that I, I, I was, well, obviously I know why I was terrified. I didn't think that I would be alive if I left. And um, that slowed down because of the fact that I couldn't go out and I refused to go out while I was pregnant and when my daughter was an infant. And then um, because we lived in Flint and I was pregnant in Flint, my children both suffer um, challenges from, from being exposed to the water. And I mean, I was pregnant the entire time I was consuming that water and then I strictly breastfed. So she really received nothing but lead. Um, so when I say that she couldn't have a babysitter, she didn't sleep. Um, for the first two years of this child's life, I'm pretty sure I got an hour of sleep max a year. Like it was insane. Wow. And um, that was when she, in, in 2019, that was the moment where I knew I was leaving because there was no drinking involved. I, um, he was on vacation. He wanted his vacation to go a certain way. I was still working. I was still running the house like a mom does. It was a Wednesday morning. My daughter had um, gymnastics. Her gymnastics class was every Wednesday at 10 a.m. He decided that because he was on vacation, it was more important for him to take her at that exact moment to his dad's house, which could have waited two hours, you know, for her to be done with gymnastics and go. Um, but because I said no, I was sitting down on the floor putting her gymnastics outfit on her and he's yelling at me and screaming at me. And I'm just trying to get my daughter ready to go to gymnastics. And I said, please just leave me alone. Please just leave me alone. And he kept screaming at me, kept screaming at me. And that was the moment the words came out of my mouth and I had never said them before. I said, I want a divorce. And at that moment with my daughter in my arms, he grabbed me by the neck and pushed me to the ground and bounced my face off the back of her head, took her from me and said he was gonna call the police and tell them I was an unstable mother. And I got up and I called the police first and I said that I needed help. And for the second time, I wasn't taken seriously. And I have a police report, but the police would not make him leave my home. This is something that happens. And this is not a knock against law enforcement. Please understand that I am not knocking law enforcement. This is one of the reasons why the training needs to be better because when I called the police, I had to leave. I had to take my son and leave my home because of what was said. Women don't leave these situations because they don't feel safe leaving. You don't feel safe living in your house. And then you call the people that are supposed to protect you and you don't feel safe because they don't protect you. And so you don't know which is, wor which is the worst of two evils. Because you know that if I stay with this person and if I just do what they say, maybe it won't be, maybe the beating won't be as bad. Maybe the rape won't be as bad. Maybe the, the screaming, the abuse, the mentality won't be as bad if I just do what they say until I can leave. Until next time when I can plan, I can leave. Unfortunately, um, this is where I know we've already been talking for a while, but this is really where our story begins. Um, because at that moment, uh, I couldn't take her to gymnastics because gymnastics was over. 
um, I, I decided to leave because I couldn't stay. Um, I was barely working at the time because he, his job was more important after I had worked our entire relationship to build up my career. And he got his at the very last year we were together. Um, he was on unemployment almost our entire 10 years until he was hired. Um, sorry, I'm going to say at Consumers Energy. And then he got a six figure a year job and my job no longer mattered. And the work that I put in no longer mattered. And because I am the mother, I could not ask him to pick my daughter up from daycare two days a week. Therefore, I could not work the job that I was committed to at that time. And um, at that, that moment, he went and he took the $3,000 that was in the bank account so that I couldn't leave. Um, I told my family immediately about what had happened and um, they obviously supported the divorce and then they turned around and um, he was still trying to convince me to make it work and to stay. And I was already set on being done. I was, I was having issues mentally committing to it, but I knew in my heart that I was ready to walk away. And I went to spend Easter weekend with my sister um, where she lives out of state. And I took my daughters with me. And he was supposed to pack up and move out of the house while I was gone. I came back and he had not packed anything. No. Um, and the next week was supposed to be our daughter's fourth birthday party. All of our families were invited. Um, and he decided that if I did not tell my family, they couldn't come because he was too embarrassed to see them after they knew what he did, um, that he was not going to show up for his own daughter's birthday. And at that moment, I said, well, I'm sorry, I'm choosing my own family over you. And I still told my family, his family still came, my family was there. And that was the day that he packed up my house. He took things that were insignificant to him, but that would make my life raising my children significantly harder. Um, and he, the only reason that he packed up and moved out of my house was because he anticipated me calling him and saying, I can't afford this, I need you to come back. Um, instead, I had a very amazing group of friends that came and moved in as roommates to help me pay my bills so that I wouldn't lose my home. Um, and unfortunately, that's where everything really started to unravel. My 14-year-old daughter came forward about things he had done to her before I had made him leave. And he's now facing um, criminal sexual conduct charges because of that. Um, we still, to this day, two years later, have CPS in our lives once a month because of what he did. Um, and the reason that my morning started off so horribly is because we have been two years in the Genesee County court system to try to get justice for my daughter. And they refuse to hold jury trials. And we've been told it'll be at least another year and a half before her case is even heard. And on top of that, CPS found grounds to terminate his rights on my two daughters, along with another daughter that he has from his first wife. We've been in this for two years. And just this morning, his attorney filed a motion for a jury trial, which means we're gonna be in this for another two years. So while he's incarcerated, we should be allowed the opportunity to heal. And instead, we still have to deal with him more than once a month. So how do you have to, so forgive my, my lack of knowledge on this, how, why do you have to deal with him once a month? For court. So instead of just being able to move on and forget that he exists during this time that he's incarcerated, we still have to see him. He ha we have to be present on these court Zoom meetings. We have to hear him speak. I have to listen to him say why he should have rights and custody over my daughter that for some reason my divorce judge is still entertaining. I have one judge who is actively trying to do the right thing and terminate his rights. 
And then I have the judge who is not only my divorce judge, but also the judge that's overseeing the criminal sexual conduct case that is trying to give him rights to my children. And people wonder why there is so much grief and anger and devastation and pain involved when people say, why don't you just leave? This is why. I did leave two years ago. Yeah, but there's so many people, Megan, that just have been through this either before or know of it. And so they're like, I just, the fight, you you lose. The good thing that you have is, is number one, is that you're a mom. That when I asked you to introduce yourself, the first thing you said was, I'm a mom. And when you use that and say, I'm a mom, you left because of your children, because you knew your children, number one, because you knew that you would either die or something would happen to your children if you stayed. So number one, you left because of you, but number two, you, you left because you didn't want your children to understand that this is not okay. Because when we as women sit there and take it and take it and take it, and we have children, they're seeing that going, so this is okay behavior. Mom's putting up with it. Mom's allowing it. So it must be okay. And the guilt and the shame that comes along with it as a parent is just overwhelming. And every day, um, every day I look at my kids and on a level feel like I failed them for allowing this person to, to be in their lives and do what they do. And Julie, I have to tell you, um, the saddest part about it is the reason that he is currently incarcerated isn't even anything to do with my family. The reason that he is currently incarcerated is because he tried to take a different woman's life. After only being separated from me for two years, he was in this woman who I am beyond fortunate to be friends with and know she is the strongest woman I have ever met in my life. She survived him. After only seven months, he attempted to take her life. And because it happened in a different county than the county that I live, they acted a lot faster. Mm. And now he's serving his prison sentence because of what he did to her. And mind you, that only happened about seven months ago, but we're in a two-year battle. I, when I, when I think of that, it's like that she is one of the strongest women. And I'm a firm believer that, that God, universe, spirit, source, whatever the hell you want to call it, works in ways that we can't even imagine and was able to, no matter how horrible that situation is, it gave you the, not relief, but the peace of knowing that he can't kick down your door, that your kids can go to school or you can go to the grocery store and not have to worry about any of that because he can't get physically to you. Yep. I unplugged my security cameras the day he was sentenced. That must have been, I can't even imagine the relief. It was. And, and as much as it's frustrating because there's no end in sight to what we're dealing with, we know that we have up to 10 years of peace right now. And that's 10 years that I'm not looking over my shoulder. That's 10 years that I'm not worried about the truck that's in the parking lot at my daughter's daycare. That's 10 years that I'm not looking to see if he has another victim that I might need to try to help. It's not enough. 10 years isn't enough. No, it's not. So where are you in your healing journey and how are the girls? I know you've got that shit to deal with every (laughs) single month, which sucks. Where are you 
in that journey? And how did you start that journey? Because I know for a fact, there are women that are listening to this right now. And the only reason why that I am not in absolute tears is because Megan has really cool eyeliner tattooed on mine would be all over my face. Not like I care. There's women out there that are feeling this in their soul. How did you start the healing journey? What is it? What was it that helped you? So honestly, like I, I struggle because I'm a firm believer in social media doesn't need to know all of your baggage and social media doesn't need to be your place to vent and, and complain about the wrongdoings in the world. But I do believe that it's a platform if you can form your thoughts and, and words correctly. Um, I think it's a great platform to find support systems and to find like-minded people and, um, you know, people that can understand. And I think that for a while I used my social as a boohoo, poor me, and my life is horrible. And even though I've created in a sense, this situation that I'm in, um, I really, I, I stopped, I stopped looking for validation and, social media and, and, and other people. And I said, okay, what do you and your children need right now? Is it, do you need help to find somewhere to live? Do you need a counselor that can be your social media posting? Like, do, what do you need that, that will help you get better and do better? And for me, it was my different levels of support systems. So, um, you know, my parents are not my bank. I, I finance me and my children myself. However, when there is an extenuating circumstance and I don't have the money for it, I have a phone that I can pick up. And as much as I keep a running tally of how much I owe them, my parents never once have said, no, Megan, we can't help you with this one. Anytime I've been able to say, okay, I started this divorce journey on my own. I had no money for an attorney. He showed up guns blazing with an attorney. Mom and dad, can you help? And they had my attorney retainer paid within 15 minutes. So everybody doesn't have that resource. If you don't have that resource, there are agencies that can help fill out paperwork for you so that in a legal sense, a judge isn't going to deny your request on a technicality that you didn't fill out paperwork properly. They won't be able to jump in if the other party has an attorney but you can at least make sure your paperwork's done properly. I think um, for me, the support system of being afraid of losing my home and, and the roof over my children's head while he ripped all of my funds out. I mean, when I talk about abuse, I talk about physical, emotional, mental, financial, any form of abuse you can think of is what we encountered over 10 years. And it's finding ways to undo that. So okay, I couldn't afford my home on my own. Who do I know that has a job that could come and move in and split the bills with me? Um, I mean, at one point, I think we had 13 people living in my house just to keep the bills paid. And the it takes a village. I had the best fucking village around <laughs> raising my children with me and making sure that I wasn't falling apart doing so. And then my support systems through work. Um, I've had amazing people that I've worked with that have allowed me to talk to them and have allowed me to share my story and kept the judgment at bay. Um, you know, they just let me talk to them. They let me say, hey, I'm having a bad day. I need to take a mental health day. They let me say those things. Um, and if not for some of the leaders that I haven't had, that I've had, um, I don't think I would have been able to maintain a job while I was going through what I was going through. Um, but honestly, I mean, I know everybody says it, but therapy, therapy has saved me and my daughters. My youngest is six years old and she's in therapy. Um, yeah. And her healing has been amazing through that because my six-year-old doesn't see the situation the same as me and my 13-year-old do. She didn't see the abuse. She didn't see, you know, she was a very, very young. So she just thinks of a parent, a parent that she no longer sees. Um, so making sure that her healing journey is facilitated how she needs it to be because hers is not the same as mine and it's not the same as her older sisters. And then, um, 
really just my community resources. Um, we have what's called in Michigan, it's called Voices for Children. And it's an advocacy center for um, children that have gone through sexual and physical abuse. And um, while she doesn't utilize them a lot, they help with prepping her for court. They help with getting her to understand what the judges could be asking her and if she's gonna have to see him face to face and what the courtrooms look like and, and when she's allowed to talk and when she's not allowed to talk. And, um, you know, it's, we are still, still very deep in our healing journey, but I think um, the biggest moment of healing for me personally has been when I decided to not be quiet and protect him anymore. For the two years that we've gone through this, I stayed relatively silent and I didn't make a bunch of posts and social media statuses. And um, I want to say in the two year time, I've probably made a total of five. And usually when I make one at this point, it's about the failure of our court system. Yeah. Um, COVID or not, I, there's not enough light being shed on how much our system needs to be dismantled and rebuilt from the core. There is so much wrong with this system and the fact that this is supposed to be put in place to help people move on and move forward. And my, fi my, my family is a prime example that we are away from our abuser. Of two years, we are two years free and clear from our abuser. And we're still stuck in a cycle where we can't move forward. And I think that that's where our healing is really more unified here. And, and I personally think that that's why I started building the farm. Um, it started after he left. And that was something that keeps our minds busy. It keeps our hands busy. It, it keeps us as a family doing things, being active, um, getting excited about new life. Um, and, and really that's been my personal form of therapy because let's face it, I don't have all the hours in the day to be driving right. myself to a therapist and both my kids to a therapist, and, you know, like, so just trying to find ways to create my own form of therapy here. I love, I love that so much. I think... The bravery that you have, the courage that it took to be done, the, the desire to be better, to be better for your children, to be better for their children, to not start generational trauma, to be able to heal and show your children, show your daughters that you can go through the fire and you can come out and be a better person for it. And the fact that you stood up and said, I'm done, you can't do this to me anymore. And you stayed in, with the decision and stuck with the decision and knew that this was the right thing to do. And I just, Megan, the amount of respect that I have for you, you have no idea. When I, when I read your post on Facebook, it was instantaneously, I'm like, I need you to share your story. Because in all of my posts and all of the things that I've been doing since I started this coaching, is that your story has the, the, the potential to save someone's life. That everybody's story is valid. It is important. It is needed. It is necessary. It is so important for you to share your story because I know there's somebody listening to this that might not be in your situation, but know somebody who is. Because domestic violence, the shame and, and the guilt and all of that, it's because it lives in secrecy. When you everybody, stop- everybody, We thought your life was perfect. We had no idea. No, yeah. because you saw what I wanted you to see. You saw my highlight reel. You did not see what was happening. And I think that that is 
what you just said is so important that we women who are in this situation, they are, they don't, they're so guilt-ridden and full of shame because how could I have fallen for this? If I tell somebody they're going to judge me, they're going to think I'm stupid. Oh my God, how could you have done this again? How could you have fallen for this? Ladies that are listening to this, this is this is what happens. And if you are in this situation or if you think you know someone in this situation, it is so important to talk about it because the shame can only live in secrecy. Please shine the light on it. We need to shine the light on our justice system. We need to shine the light on domestic violence and understand that it is not okay. Being abused is not okay. Being verbally abused, being mentally abused, financially abused, sexually abused, none of it is okay. And when we allow it to happen, what we permit, we promote. And so for you to spend this time with us, Megan, is I am overwhelmed with gratitude for you. Um, I have a, I could talk to you all day, but I have a question for you. Yeah. For the woman who's sitting and listening to this, who's sitting in the ashes of her life and she's sitting in the, in the shit pit and doesn't know what to do and is where you were, what do you say to her? Pick up the phone. <laughs> call someone call me it doesn't matter I'll be here I'll listen to you um it only gets better it's scary it's scary to take the leap but it only gets better if you do thank you thank you for sharing you thank you for sharing your children and your journey and everything with us I know that today was very hard for you. I know that it was so important for people to hear your story and to hear your journey. And the more you tell it, the more you heal, the more you tell it, the more women you can save. So if I could ask anything of you, please don't be quiet. Please don't be quiet. Thank you because you are so worthy and you are so enough and you are an incredible human being that it's been my honor to have you. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. So normally in my show notes, I tell you how to get a hold of Megan. If you do want to get a hold of Megan, I love you, girl. They're going to have to go through me. I will protect I will protect you. I will protect your anonymity. I will protect you. So if you want to get in contact with Megan, or if you have questions, or if you need something, please reach out to me and I will, and I will get a hold of Megan and she will reach out to you. This is a subject that was a very difficult subject to talk about. Brings up lots of triggers. I'm going to have to journal when I get off here because <laughs> brings up some stuff for me. And I've been out of it since 20, 2006. I've been out of it since 2006 and it's still this many years later. So ladies, do the work, get out, call someone. There's so many resources that people will swoop in and help you. You do not have to do this alone. You never have to do this journey alone. Even if you're living someplace where you don't know anybody, you don't have to do it alone. So if you have any questions in the show notes, those are the notes that are down below. I'm going to put in domestic violence hotlines. I will put in different sources for you and resources for you. So, and if you hear this podcast and you know somebody that needs it, please share it. Share it. Share it, share it, because Megan's journey, but for the grace of God, could have been mine, could have been yours, and could have been anybody else's. So with that, I appreciate you. I honor you. 
And it's Wednesday, friends. So slide into your weekend. Make it a good one. Megan, thank you so much. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I appreciate you. And remember, you are loved, you are treasured, you are adored, you are worthy, and you are so more than enough. I hope that you were inspired. And if you were, please feel free to download, share, and leave a comment. I would be eternally grateful. Thank you so much and have an absolutely magical day.